Good morning, I'm Pastor Scott, and it's great to be with you here today as we are celebrating Christmas. I have a question for you. Do you remember the best Christmas present you ever received? Was it a big one, or maybe it was a small one, like maybe jewelry or something like that? Was it wrapped, uh, special, and put under the tree, or maybe was it something that was not set out and you didn't find out about it until afterwards? Maybe it was from your parents or from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or perhaps from your spouse. Well, I remember when I was about 13 years old and I was looking at the under the tree for different presents. Um, I don't know, did you do that? Every day I come home from school and count how many presents had my name on them. And then I count how many had my sister's name because she better not have more than me, right? But there was this one present that was kind of set over to the side, a little bit away from the tree, and it was rather large, uh, not wide, but you know maybe about that wide, but it was probably that tall and about that, that uh, far in length as well. And it didn't have a tag on it that said who it was for, and it didn't say who it was from. And so I, it, it intrigued me. But on Christmas morning, uh, our immediate family, my mom, my dad, and me and my sister, we all opened our presents together, and that present was still left unwrapped and or unopened. And But our grandparents were coming over later, and so I thought maybe it was for one of them. And then my dad said, hey, Scott, why don't you go get that present and unwrap it? And I did, and it was the coolest slot car set I had ever seen in my life. We all have ideas of what the best present is, don't we? How do you measure the value of a gift? How do you judge its worth? Is it by the size or perhaps by the weight? Something heavy must be of more value. Or maybe how much it costs. Or maybe it's something a little less um, out there, like how unique the gift is. Or perhaps how much thought or sacrifice went into it. What I'd like to do this morning is examine God's gift to us. And as Pastor Ben read our passage, I want you to turn back there if you do, if you would. We're in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 to you. Uh, but I'm going to read it this time from the New Living Translation, just to give it a little different flavor. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. God showed how much he loved us, by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, it's quite clear in these verses that God's gift to us is his Son, Jesus. The gift isn't a thing, but it's a person, it's not a what, but a who. At Christmas, we remember this person, Jesus, was born in a manger 2,000 years ago, very far away from us. Now, some of you may be legitimately wondering, well, what is the big deal about a child born in a manger so many years ago? Why all the songs and the carols, the lights, the cheesy TV movies? I mean, more than three million babies are born in this country alone every year. So why is this child's birth so special? 
Why do we sing about one single child born so many years ago, so far away in the Middle East? What's the big deal about this one? Why is this gift so valuable? Well, I believe that we can measure the value of this gift in three ways. First, God's gift is measured by its motive. Now, all of us have received gifts where we question the motive. It doesn't matter how awesome the gift is, if the motive of the giver is somehow in question, the value of that gift is therefore diminished. Maybe somebody was motivated by guilt or obligation, like you gave them a gift and now they feel obligated to give you one. Or maybe someone was motivated by a desire for other people to see how generous they are or what great taste they have in gifts. These motives taint a gift no matter how big or how expensive it is. On the other hand, if a gift is motivated by love, it really doesn't matter how much it costs. We still appreciate it. Years ago, when I was in middle school, I was taking wood shop, and I made my grandparents this napkin holder. It was pretty plain. It had a base and two sides that slid into a groove, and then I had cut the letter S into the wood uh, because that's our last name's initial. And so I gave this gift to my grandparents And at the time, I thought it was a pretty good napkin holder, but now I realize how amateur-looking it was. It looked very much like a junior high boy with very little woodworking experience had made it. But here's the thing. I gave it to my grandparents as a gift, and they proudly displayed and used that napkin holder for decades. I even saw it at my grandma's house about 40 years after I had made it. As an adult, I understand that my grandparents had received and used my gift not because of the quality or how much it cost, but because it had been given to them by somebody that they loved and somebody that loved them. The verses in 1 John tell us the motive behind God's gift was love. The Apostle Apostle John says, this is how God showed his love among us. And then later he says, this is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us. So the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was revealing God's love. And that love didn't come in response to us loving him first. It wasn't like God said, well, okay, you love me, so I'll love you in return. This gift was initiated solely by God. There are many reasons that God sent his son. Jesus would reveal God's nature. Jesus would accomplish salvation because he was born. Jesus would bring glory to God the Father. But the sweetest reason of all, not the most important reason, but the sweetest reason is that God loves us. Pastor and author Max Lucado says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. Now that tells us how old this quote is, right? Because if it was today, he would have said, if God has an iPhone, your picture would be its wallpaper. (laughs) He continues on, God sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk to him, God listens. He can live anywhere in the universe and he chooses to live in your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem? Face it, friend, Lucado says, God is crazy about you. 
God knows us perfectly. He knows our darkest secrets, our deepest shame, our stormy past, our ugliest thoughts, our hidden motives, even our vain attempts to cover up all of those things so that we somehow appear better than we really are. God sees all of this, and yet he still loves us enough to send his son. So God's gift is measured by its motive, but it's also measured by its cost. I know a gift doesn't have to be expensive to be meaningful and valuable, but cost is not just measured by dollars and cents. You could spend a lot of time finding just the right gift or even making a gift yourself. That's another way to measure cost. So how do we measure the value of God's gift in terms of cost? Well, it says in our passage that he sent his one and only son into the world. That's very costly. Theologians call this kenosis. That comes from the Greek word which means to empty, to empty oneself. The word is used of God's son and is found in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7. Let me read that to you. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself. That's the kenosis. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That emptying of himself was part of the cost. God the Son, Jesus, stepped from his throne in heaven and wrapped himself in human skin. The one the angels worship was born into the cold night, and then he slept on cow's hay, even in the middle of the stench of animal dung and urine. Let me share with you a story that may help you understand this kenosis. In September of 1940, Witzold Pilecki, who was a Polish army officer, emptied himself in a very costly way. He snuck into the concentration camp Auschwitz. Now, he knew that something terribly wrong was happening in that concentration camp, and as a committed Christian and a Polish patriot, he couldn't just stand by and watch it happen. He wanted to get information on the horrors of Auschwitz, but he knew that it, he could only do that by being on the inside. So his superiors provided a false identity for him and, and gave him a false Jewish name, and then he allowed himself to be arrested during a routine street roundup in the city of Warsaw. He was then sent to Auschwitz, and he lived there as a prisoner, and he became just like any other inmate, beaten, scorned, ridiculed, even threatened with death. He was the husband and father of two children, and he later said, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. Jesus bade farewell to everything he had known in heaven. That was costly. But it didn't stop at just leaving heaven. There was an even greater price to pay John also says that God the Father sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There was a cost in kenosis of emptying Himself, of leaving heaven, but there was an even greater cost at the cross. In Philippians 2.8, Paul says, "...being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." 
In order for us to be set free from sin and death, a payment had to be made. Throughout the Old Testament, payment was made by the blood of a spotless lamb. The sacrifice had to be made every year, year after year, to pay for the sins of God's people. But that animal sacrifice was just a symbol of God's final and once-for-all solution. His spotless, unblemished Son would shed His own blood. At Christmas, yes, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also remember the purpose for which He came. Because He came on a mission. He came to die for us. His kenosis, His emptying of Himself was costly, but His cross was even more costly. The birth of God's Son is wonderful and mysterious, but it's all for nothing without His death on the cross and His resurrection. Our awe over His birth isn't just that He came, but that He came to be crucified for you and for me. So the gift of God is measured by its motive and by its cost, but there's one more thing. It's also measured by its usefulness. What's the usefulness of the gift that God gave to us? The usefulness is found in verse 9, that we might live through Him. So God's gift has the ultimate practical value in that it gives us life. But this isn't just physical life or existence, but it means a spiritual life, eternal life with God that starts at the point of salvation. Later in the same letter, the Apostle John writes, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And Jesus also said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or to have it abundantly. What a promise. Not just life, not just existence, but life which means something. Life that has worth. Life that has value. Life with meaning, a life with eternal consequences and benefits, that means that we have purpose. That purpose is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You see, you were prepared, you were specially created, handcrafted, uniquely made for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Your purpose is to live a life that magnifies the Lord, to use your gifts and your talents in helping others, to tell those who don't know Jesus that there is good news. Your purpose is to bring glory to God in all that you do and say, so that when all is said and done, you can hear these words, Well done, good and faithful servant. God's gift of His Son is useful. It gives us life. Despite our weaknesses, it gives us meaning and value and purpose. And our purpose is to bring glory to God. So God has given us the gift of His Son. And the value of that gift is seen in its motive and its cost and its usefulness. The motive of this gift was love. The cost of the gift was both Jesus' emptying of himself as well as his death on the cross. And the usefulness of the gift is that through this gift, 
we get real life with purpose that lasts throughout eternity. I read recently that 40% of all shoppers will purchase a department store gift card or maybe an Amazon gift card and give that to their friends and family. And another 33% of people will buy one that's connected to food, fast food, a restaurant, whatever. But according to estimates reported in the Journal of State Taxation, there's one to read for fun, right? The typical American home has an average of $300 in unused or unredeemed gift cards. I want to go to that home because I don't have that kind sitting around. But they say these cards are often misplaced, accidentally thrown out, or partially redeemed. Or maybe you just didn't want what you could redeem with it. Between the years 2005 and 2011, it says $41 billion in gift cards went unused. I wonder if God's gift to you will be received or left unredeemed. God has given us the costliest gift imaginable, but just like all the gifts that will be given and received tomorrow, you have to accept it. You have to receive it. Will you do that? To begin with, that means that you believe it and you receive it. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great gift that you have given, a gift that costs something, a, a gift that has meaning and worth, and a gift that gives us purpose in this life and the next. This morning, if you have come and you have not yet received this gift that God has provided, I pray that today would be that day. Don't continue to leave that gift sitting unopened. If you are ready to receive that gift, I just ask that you would pray these words after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gift. I accept your gift because it's something that I could not provide for myself. I admit that without you, I am lost. And I receive your gift of new life. A life with purpose. Thank you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have received that gift, but it has been a really long time since you have shared that with somebody. So long that you may not even remember the last time. If so, you're the person that has the gift that's holding on to it, who won't give it to somebody else. By giving this gift doesn't mean that you lose it. It just means that it's shared with somebody else. So perhaps today is the day that you need to renew your commitment to sharing the gospel. And I'm asking, would you make that commitment to share the gospel one time before this year is over? If so, would you pray along with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for providing this gift. And I am so sorry that I have withheld it from other people. Please show me who to share this gift of life with. 
give me the words to say and the courage to say those words before this year is over, perhaps even today. In Jesus' name, amen.